there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, who feasted supulently every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember, that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us is a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said then, Father, I beg you, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I absolutely love this parable. It's probably one of my favorite in all the Bible. But I can also tell you it's one of my favorites because it convicts me at times. It definitely convicts me at times. Think, if you will, the stark contrast between the rich man and Lazarus. He's dressed in fine clothes. It says even in purple. Do you know during Jesus' day that only the extremely, extremely wealthy possibly even royalty, dared to dress in purple garments. Contrast that wardrobe that the world admired to the torn rags of poor Lazarus, who is only clothed in sores that the dog licks, which would make him ritually unclean. Contrast, if you will, the food at the rich man's table. It says he eats sumptuously. All of his desires are met. That's what that represents in those scriptures. Contrast that to poor Lazarus, who just longs to eat the crumbs that fall from the rich man's table. 
understand this stark contrast and the reversal that comes because they both die. But notice, if you will, the stark difference here. The rich man dies and is buried and goes to Hades. Lazarus, the poor beggar covered in sores, the poor beggar that the world looks down on, that the world judges in shames, dies, and according to the scriptures, is carried off by angels' wings to be comforted, to be comforted by Abraham, the very one that God first called to start a new nation and a new people, and a new way of life. Understand this extreme contrast and reversal. You see, Abraham says, rich man, you had your rewards in heaven, or on the earth. Every need you had was met. Every comfort was yours. You could do whatever, whenever. But poor Lazarus, could do nothing but beg. You see, begging was looked down on in Jesus' day the same way it's looked down on today. The rich man wouldn't dare, wouldn't dare look Lazarus in the eyes. The rich man, amazingly enough, knows Lazarus' name. Did you pick up on that in the story? He called him by name. That means this rich man knew who Lazarus was and chose not to relieve his suffering at his very gate. It draws your mind back to the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor. How many truly poor ever believe they're blessed? But they are. I tell you, I've experienced in my lifetime some of the most gracious people, some of the most giving people, some of the most loving people I've ever met happen to have very little earthly goods or wealth. But you know what they do have? They've got the love of God, and they so often share it openly. The interesting thing about this parable is just 2,000 years ago, the same as today, for the poor, this is a parable of hope, of promise, things to look forward to. But to the wealthy, just as 2,000 years ago, this is a parable of warning, of peril. You know, we're all so familiar in our lives with sins of commission, sins that we choose to do, or maybe we don't want to quite admit we choose them and say, we slipped into them. But on the opposite side of this coin of sins of commission are sins of omission. Sins or omission are those things that we should do but neglect to do. You see, I believe that's what's being presented in this parable. Think about it if you will. The, the rich man's not evil. He's not beating Lazarus or beating others. He's not casting evil spirits. He's not threatening others. He is not taking his riches and oppressing others. All he did was simply ignore the need at his very gate. 
Another thing I love, I think we can glean from, I think it's amazing in this parable, in this afterlife scenario that Jesus presents, did you catch on? Did you catch on that the rich man had concern for his loved ones? I love that. You see, Scripture doesn't tell us a whole lot of detail about what's on the other side of this veil from life to death. But what it does tell us is that the ones we love in this world, we continue to love in the next. This rich man is so conceited, even though he knows the name of Lazarus, the poor beggar at his gate, and does nothing to help him. The very second he realizes, he realizes that if he act differently, maybe, just, just maybe, he wouldn't be in Hades being tormented. How powerful is that image, folks? How incredible is it for us to realize he says from his deathbed in Hades under torment, please, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to my brothers so that they won't end up here with me. You got to love Abraham's reply. They have Moses and the prophets. Surely if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't even listen to someone who rises from the dead. Did you catch that? Surely they won't listen to someone who rises from the dead? And who is teaching this parable? The very one who conquered sin in the grave and rose from the dead, and yet so many have hardened hearts and cannot hear the word of God. Oh, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to my father's house so that my brothers too will not have to suffer. It's amazing when you think about it. The rich man knows Lazarus' name. He couldn't look him in the eye on this world, and he can't even dare to address him by name in the next. One of the things I find so encouraging in this story is we can glean these lessons. We have the opportunity to acknowledge not only our sins of commission, but our sins of omission those areas in which we have put blinders on and chosen not to see the need at our gates. Being a second career pastor, someone that's gone back to school and raising a family, and even now sometimes I get in this work mode, maybe it sounds familiar to you. I think to myself, I just got to put my head down and do what I have to do today. How many of us have thought, I just got to put my head down and get this next task accomplished. You know, there's a real problem. And I admit that I have this problem. When I put my head down, I neglect to see those who are around me. You know, that's exactly what the rich man did. He easily could have fed Lazarus. He easily 
could have cared for his wounds. There's nothing in the scriptures that says he despised or hated Lazarus. There's nothing in the scripture that says he went to the authorities to say, get this beggar out away from my gate. There is nothing that suggests anything other than he ignored the need of his brother right at his doorstep. Maybe it's the fact of just not being aware and just not seeing. I'll tell you one thing I learned years ago, uh, and this got no glory in me at all. You see, uh, I was so blessed. I was so blessed, so richly blessed by God, especially after Nicole and I had been married a few years, we decided to travel, and then we decided, you know, we're grown up now. We were building a house. I was a contractor. We decided it's, gonna, it's about time we start a family. Yeah, you, know, you know what it's like if you get to that point. It's about time. Let's, let's put down permanent roots. Let's build a family. So in the middle of the construction of the house, we decided, all right, let's have kids. Everybody had ever known it takes at least a year, right? So I had plenty of time to get the house done, and no big deal whatsoever. 30 days later, Nicole gets a confirmation that she's pregnant. We wait another 30 days, and we find we're not having one child, but we're having two. Folks, I'm here to tell you, never in my life have I passed out, but I came real close. <laughs> real close the day the doctor said, there's two heartbeats. You see, I was so blessed, so richly blessed that all of a sudden I got convicted in my heart that I need to be a blessing to others. I was a good person. I did what I was supposed to do. I followed the rules. I attended church. I knew God, but I wasn't convicted. You see, I lived my life and God was on the periphery, but that's not where God is supposed to be. God's supposed to be at the center the very core of our beings. I'll never forget one Sunday, I was sitting in pews, just like you are now, thumbing through a bulletin, and this little announcement was on the back of the bulletin, driver needed. Well, let me tell you something, folks. I could drive. I could drive dump trucks, backhoes, bulldozers, tractors. Uh, you know, I have experience behind the wheel. So I thought to myself, ha-ha, this is a way I can give back. So I volunteered. It was for early bread ministry. For several years, a couple Sundays a month, I would drive a 15-passenger van downtown Wilmington and pick up homeless and drive them to this little Episcopal church in which they would be fed. And then if they chose, they could stay for worship and we would drive them back to where we picked them up. Let me tell you, what we see determines what we think. What we think determines our actions. You see, I had lived in Wilmington my whole life. I was aware that there was a homeless situation, but I didn't truly see it until I started driving that van. And I'm telling you, in the dead of winter, I would pull up in front of New Henry County Library 
or the Mercy House and Men's Shelter, and you would see nobody on the street because, I mean, folks, it would be freezing below 30 sometimes. The second I put that van in park, out of the woodworks, out of nowhere, people would come. They would crawl into that van so full that if I got pulled, I guarantee you I got a ticket. But they would get into that van, and we would crank the heat. And let me tell you, I'm hot nature as I can be. I'd rather be cold than anything else in the world. They would crank the heat because they've been freezing all night long. All night long on the streets, they've been wrapped in newspaper. There was one Sunday morning. One Sunday morning that's forever burned into my mind. You see, I pulled up. Everybody crammed into the van so quickly I couldn't even see their faces. And then in the rearview mirror, I caught a glimpse. I caught a glimpse of David. You see, David is an African-American young man, same age as Nicole and I. You see, David was somebody I knew. David had been in junior high and high school with me, with Nicole. I looked back and I saw the face of a friend. David and I played football on the same team. We broken bread together before. And here I am driving. And my poor broken brother was in the back of that van. Sometimes we don't know just how broken and how severe the suffering is until we're willing to open our eyes and see humanity for itself. And then if we're people of faith, to look a little bit farther and to see Jesus in them. Now, I wish I could tell you a happy ending. I wish I could tell you that David turned his life around, but I can't. I don't honestly know. What I can tell you is that Jesus calls us to be instruments of his mercy and his grace. He calls us to love the least among us. He calls us to be his hands and feet, to offer hope, to offer love, to offer food, medical supplies, acceptance. I think what I learned from this parable more than anything else is not to put my head down not to ignore the need at my gate, not to wish them away or pretend like I don't see them. More than anything else this day, I pray that what you glean from this parable, what you hear in this message is a word of hope. Could you imagine, just imagine if you will, that if everybody who claimed Christ as their Savior simply met the need at their gate, at their doorstep, 
If every Christian helped someone that was down and out, do you know it would transform this world? And just in case you've forgotten, isn't that we, we pray for every single Sunday, hopefully every single day in the Lord's Prayer? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our words from our Savior teach each of us that if we simply would reach out in love, that he would magnify and multiply that work. Not to the glory of us, but to the glory of the one who is, who was, and who always will be. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now will you join me in prayer?